0: Good morning to our viewers online as well. We are continuing our message series on Mark, uh, looking at various passages that give us surprising insights um, into who Jesus is. One of the defining characteristics uh, of our culture, I think you would agree, is individualism. Um, I would say individualism is one of the primary aspects of our American culture. Um, freedom is one of our highest values, and really anything that inhibits our ability to do what we want to do um, is seen as almost evil. Um, even those of us who are followers of Jesus, even those who are committed to a local church, uh, in general, we, while we say we're committed to one another, our default uh, can be to want to do our own thing. Right? to live life on our own terms uh, without anyone else's help uh, and without any accountability. Um, in addition to our individualism, another factor that contributes uh, to our wanting to live life on our own terms is what one author calls anti-authorityism. Uh, writer Jonathan Lehman says in his book, The Church and the Surprising Offense of God's Love, he says the following. God is interested in a relationship with human beings, but he's interested in a relationship that is structured in a particular way. He's interested in an authoritatively asymmetrical relationship. That is, he's the king to be worshipped. We are not. When we pull off the somewhat secularized mask of individualism, what we find behind it is a fear of, nay, a hatred of, authority. It's not relationships that people are so afraid of, people long for relationships, as the entire romantic movement attests to. Rather, it's a particular kind of relationship that people despise. The real problem, then, is not finally individualism, it's anti-authorityism. Loneliness is not the problem, a refusal to live life on anyone else's terms is. So authority is a concept uh, known to some degree by all of us. Most of us have some appreciation for authority. We understand that without authority, we would most likely descend into anarchy. Society would be chaotic. Uh, there, There are some in our society, though, who recognize no authority. They detest authority. They refuse to live by it. Prisons are full of these kinds of people, right? So authority is what we're talking about today, and authority is a major theme in the Bible. The Greek word for authority is exousia. Sometimes it's translated as power, uh, or more specifically, the power that decides. This this term is uh, found 102 times in the New Testament. We're talking about authority today and I realize that some of us might feel uncomfortable about talking about that. Um, Many of us have been hurt by authority, uh, perhaps abused by those in authority. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a boss or a spouse, maybe it was a pastor. Uh, Many of us have good reasons to not trust authority. The good news is that all authority isn't bad. Um, The Gospels tell us that the one with all authority used his authority to serve and protect us, not to take advantage of us. He decided to lower himself, to put on human flesh, and come into this world to help people, not to hurt them. In Jesus, the God with all authority in heaven and on earth, Put aside his glory in order to save and to serve those who put their faith in him. Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world, uh, as you know, as a humble human servant. But one of the things that perhaps left the greatest impression on Jesus' followers uh, and caused the greatest offense among his opponents was his authority. Jesus' authority means that he has has the freedom and he has the power to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Because he's Jesus. Jesus demonstrated his power, he demonstrated his divine authority, like all throughout his ministry. In today's scripture, Jesus astonishes the local synagogue with his authoritative teaching, and specifically, his power over the demonic Jesus' authority is why he could bind Satan, right? The strong man, wherever he went. Jesus says this in Mark 3, verse 27. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. It's why Jesus could presume to even forgive sins. Um, Jesus says in Mark 2, verses 10 and 11, "I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins." Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, "Stand up, pick up your mat and go home." It's why he claimed supremacy uh, over the Old Testament law, and specifically over the Sabbath. Jesus says in Mark 2:28. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. It's why when other rabbis would quote other teachers, Jesus would preface many of his statements by saying this. He would say, Truly I say to you. Right? Rabbis didn't talk like that. God talks like that. Here was a man who spoke with his own authority, not in the name of someone else. Like that alone was amazing. But Jesus also demonstrated his authority when in our scripture today, he commanded an evil spirit and the evil spirit obeyed. When the demon-possessed man was was disrupting a meeting, right, Jesus simply ordered the demon to leave and it left. People in the synagogue had not seen anything like this. Like, who could have such authority that even the evil spirits have to obey his commands? So, I want to talk today about Jesus' authority and then discuss the implications that has for us. Because it has some extremely important implications for us. So, first off, Jesus, the Son of God, has all the authority in the world in the whole universe. God created all things through him and he put all things under him. Everything and everyone is subject to him. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 say Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 says, Christ is far above everything any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world but also in the world to come god has put all things under the authority of christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church so one aspect of christ that um, isn't understood or appreciated even by some christians um, is his role in the original creation Genesis 1:1 says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth right and the Hebrew term for God here is in a plural form we see in verse 26 of that same chapter God says let us make human beings in our image to be like us so this is first hint in the Bible of the triune nature of God right father Son, Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, John writes the following in John 1, verses 1 through 5. He says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Hebrews 1 2 says, And now in these final days, God has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. So, in addition to Jesus being present at creation, um, he also sustains the present order of the universe. He holds all of creation together. It's interesting. Were it not for Jesus' sustaining authority, our whole universe would come apart at the seams. So Jesus has authority as creator of the universe and he has authority as sustainer of the universe. Jesus also has authority over nature and over life itself. If you remember, he calmed a storm. All right, remember that story? If you remember, he also somehow caused a coin to appear in a fish's mouth. Um, if you remember, he also made a donkey appear for him to ride into Jerusalem. You remember the story? That's in Mark 11, one through seven, it says, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, "What are you doing untying that colt?" They said that they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. So that donkey obeyed the master, And had more sense than all those people a few days later who would be yelling out, crucify him. So Jesus has authority over everything he created. Um, Another thing that Jesus has authority over is sickness. There are 41 distinct instances of physical healing, physical and mental healing, recorded in the Gospels. Jesus healed leprosy, blindness, deafness, a speech impediment, and more. He even uh, restored a severed ear. You remember this? Uh, it's in John eighteen ten. when they come to take Jesus. And it says uh, that Pete, Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. So Peter slashed off Malchus's ear and then Jesus healed him. I've always wondered, like, did Jesus, like, pick up that ear and, like, make it reattach to his head? Or did he just, like, make it, like, instantly grow a new ear? Like, got to be one of my questions I ask in heaven. All right? So, so Jesus has authority over sickness over our very flesh, right, itself. In Capernaum, Jesus encountered a man who was paralyzed. Um, He was brought to Jesus on a mat by his four friends. It says in Mark 2, 5, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. And who can claim with authority that they can forgive someone else's sins, right? Only God can do that. And so Jesus goes on to explain the connection between his healing and his authority. Uh, He says it in Mark 2.10. He says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. So in addition to sickness, Jesus um, has all authority, has all power over the powers of darkness. right? All demons and even Satan himself. All throughout the New Testament we see that Jesus um, has the authority to cast out the demonic. In Mark 5, when demons were tormenting a man who lived in the region of the Gerasenes, Jesus cast them out from a man. You remember, the demons asked Jesus permission to enter a herd of pigs nearby. Um, it, it's interesting. Like, even the demons acknowledged Jesus' authority. If the demons acknowledged Jesus' authority, uh, where does that leave those today who refuse to acknowledge Jesus' authority? So in addition to uh, the authority Jesus has over demons, Jesus has authority over the angels. All right? The word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, and the term signifies a messenger. Angelos is used in several ways throughout the Bible. It usually refers to a heavenly order of created beings. Uh, they carry out the will of God on the behalf of, of his people and we see throughout the new testament that jesus exercises authority over these heavenly beings when he's talking about the coming day of judgment jesus himself said in matthew chapter 13 verse 41 the son of man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil so he has authority even over the angels And of course, Jesus has authority over death itself. Now, there were three times in Jesus' ministry when he raised people from the dead. He raised the daughter of Jairus, he raised the widow's son, and of course, he raised Lazarus. Also, there's a subtle suggestion that in some way, Jesus was instrumental uh, in the resurrection of his own body. John 2:19 says, uh, "All right," Jesus replied, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." So we see Jesus has authority over everything, all of creation, all of nature, sickness, demons, angels, even death itself. And yet, Jesus didn't use his authority the way we humans tend to use the little bit of authority we might have. Um, For some of us, authority is just a way to enrich ourselves, of getting our own way, uh, of suppressing the truth, of getting and holding the power to be able to keep doing these things. We see it in totalitarian regimes, we see it in certain businesses with corporate executives, we see it in government, we see it in churches, we see it sometimes with parents, bosses, teachers, so on. But this isn't the case with Jesus. Um, He has all authority over everything there is, but he uses it in in an entirely different way than many of us would. Jesus uses authority to serve, not to be served. And that is, of course, how he wants us to use whatever little bit of authority that we might have. Think about being on the other end of authority. It makes a huge difference when the authority that we are subject to is a blessing instead of a curse. Proverbs 29, verse 2 says, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, they groan. It's when authority is used to help, not to overpower or manipulate or to be self-serving, that those under it can rejoice. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't overpower us or make us submit to his will. He serves us, right, with patience and mercy, Um, helping us to grow, to see how much we need him. So what does all this mean for us personally? How does Jesus' authority affect our everyday lives? Um, First, as we understand Jesus' servant authority and how it contrasts with sometimes the broken image of authority we may have experienced, um, we will want to model such authority, his servant authority, uh, wherever we are, right? In our homes, our workplace, at church. Uh, and no matter where we're exercising our authority, he wants us to use it to lift others up, right? Not to use others to lift us up. Like that's what he modeled to us. Jesus explained this in Mark 10, verses 42 to 45. It says, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We don't want to model individualism and anti-authorityism. Uh, we want to model what it looks like, what it looks like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What it looks like to allow ourselves to be held accountable in relationships with other believers, where we're being challenged and where we're challenging others, right, in our growth of Christ, where we're speaking the truth in love with one another, where we're spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Secondly, second implication of Jesus' authority means this. It means that we do not have to be afraid of anything anymore. Certainly, we can still be hurt. Um, certainly, we can still struggle with things, right, financially or relational conflicts or whatever. But Jesus' authority, his exousia, is operating behind the scenes to make sure nothing happens to us that he can't use for good. By his grace... Jesus divinely orchestrates all the events in our lives, even our struggles, even our pain, so that we'll learn to lean on him, so that we'll learn to rest in him, so that we'll learn to trust him. His authority means he knows what he's doing. And since he loves us as his children, and he knows what he's doing, We don't have to be afraid anymore. Third, Jesus' authority gives us peace when uh, we're looking around ourselves at the world and all we see is craziness, we see injustice, and we see violence. King Jesus is still on his throne, and he is still in control. And when he returns, his authority will be on full display and all evil will come to an end. The righteous in Christ will be rewarded and the unjust will be punished. We know this. The fourth and um, I would say the most important way that Jesus' authority affects our daily lives is this. And the enemy doesn't want you to know this. As a follower of Christ, you are a new creation. You have a glory in you. Um, And now you have a new authority in Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have that authority. Every Christ follower has the full authority of Jesus Christ over the powers of darkness over the enemy, and over all of his minions. We know that Jesus has authority over everything, right? Even Satan and his demons. And we learn in Mark 16, 19, 19, that after Jesus was taken up into heaven, he was then seated at the right hand of the Father. It says, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Right? We know this. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But then Paul, in Ephesians 2.6, he says this. Right? God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Right? This means that this idea of spiritual warfare, Right, remember this? Ephesians, what, 6.12? For we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? This is our true enemy, the devil and his minions, right? This means that we approach spiritual warfare from a position above the forces of evil because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, Because we are in Christ, we are already in a position above and over the powers of darkness. Not only that, not only if you are in Christ, not only that, not only do you have the full authority of Jesus Christ behind you, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. 1 John 4:4. for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus doesn't just save us so that we can learn to behave better. He wants us to also realize the authority that we have in Christ over the powers of darkness. You, if you're hearing my voice and you are a follower of Jesus, you can be the person who brings the authority of Jesus Christ into the dark places in this world. You can be the man or the woman of God who the enemy fears because you pray with authority, you pray in the name of Jesus, and you pray using the word of God. The basis of our authority is not our own strength. It's not. It's not our wealth. It's not our education. It's not the job that we have, right? doesn't matter if you... um, pick up garbage for a living, or if you are a CEO, it doesn't matter. The basis of our authority is solely based on our position in Christ. Because Christ has redeemed us, we we actually have a legal basis for our authority. Authority in Christ is our legal right. Doesn't matter if you don't feel it doesn't matter if you haven't experienced it. If you've given your life to Christ, you have his authority. So don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him accuse you. Don't let him badger you. Compared to the authority that you have in Christ, he's nothing. Peter Schaff, in his book, History of the Christian Church, wrote the following. He said, The devil has no real power over believers. He hates prayer, and he flees from the cross and from the word of God as from a flaming fire. If you cannot expel him by texts of holy scripture, the best way is to jeer and flout him. A pious nun once scared him away by simply saying Christiana sum, which is Latin, it means I am a Christian. Christ has slain him and will cast him out at last into the fire of hell. Maybe you've heard of uh, Smith Wigglesworth. He was a British evangelist uh, who was instrumental in the early Pentecostal movement. He never felt threatened by the devil. Um, In Albert Hibbert's biography of Wigglesworth, he wrote the following. On one occasion, Wigglesworth awoke during the night aware of a satanic presence. Looking across the room, he saw the devil himself standing there. Wigglesworth said to Satan, oh, it's only you. Then he turned over and went back to sleep. When we listen to the lies of the enemy, uh, and we, give him, we, we can give him too much power, we can give him too much authority, compared to the surpassing glory and the power of Jesus, uh, the devil is a gnat, right? You've seen this kind of like, we try to set up this dichotomy, like somehow like it's this battle of... Of the between the forces of good and evil and Jesus and Satan are like duking it out and it's like, no. Like compared to the surpassing glory and infinite power of Jesus Christ, the devil is a pissant. I looked that up. That's not a curse word. Like that's an actual real... <laughs> It sounds like a curse word, but it's not. (laughs) If you are in Christ, you have his authority. You have his spirit inside of you. And the devil doesn't stand a chance. Do, Do not let him convince you otherwise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Sovereign Lord of the universe. Thank you that you have authority over everything and everyone, even over demons and death itself. Pray, Lord, that every believer hearing my voice would begin to walk in the full authority that they have in Jesus Christ. That no longer would the enemy be given any leeway, any foothold in our lives. Lord, wake us up to the reality that as your followers, we have full authority over the powers of hell. Increase our faith, Lord, so that it just becomes a regular thing for us to walk in the full authority that we have in you. Help us as well, Lord, to exercise our authority with one another the way you do, with patience and mercy and a servant's heart. And pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.